0: RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call at RadioJustice.org, where something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you on the bus, train, plane, or simply at the water cooler or in Cubicle Nation. Today, we have Conversation Piece Roadshow from the 41st Playboy Jazz Festival at the Hollywood Bowl with the legendary musical group, The Family Stone, featuring lead vocalist, keyboardist, Russell Swaying Stewart, and lead guitar player, Nate Wingfield. What a true pleasure and honor to sit poolside at Lowe's Hotel in Hollywood, learning the history of Sly and The Family Stone with these guys. Join me on this musical journey. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Nate Wingfield, welcome to Conversation Peace.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I am so glad that you accepted my invitation for this interview. Um, how did you get connected with the Family Stone?
1: You know, it's, it's sometimes in life, something just happens just out of the blue. Blaze, our bassist and uh, MD, was playing with him. And I get a call one day and he says, Hey, man, how'd you like to play with the family stone? <laughs> and I can't say it on the air what I said, but <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, right, man, yeah, right. He goes, no, 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 seriously. And I'm like, yeah, right. And he goes, no, man, I'm serious. I said, yeah, cool, I'd I, love to do it. So he says, well, listen, I'm sending over material. And uh, he says, um, listen to it, digest it, and um we're going to get it done. I said, all right. Well, when is rehearsal? He said, well, that's the, that's the catch. Uh, we don't have time to rehearse. <laughs> so I, I immediately got into it and got into it as deep as I could. Uh, but I've been a fan since I can remember. So I, I kind of had a handle on, a, on how the songs felt. But I mean, the individual parts are really working out. So next thing you know, I get an airline ticket, and it's like, uh, meet us in St. Petersburg, Florida, and um, that's your introduction. I get into the airport, and I'm coming downstairs, and downstairs is waiting is Cynthia Robinson and Rose Stone and Jerry Martini, and the legends themselves, you know, and um, I never had a chance to rehearse. So I was, I was a little bit, you know, there's some butterflies there, but it was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do it, let me jump into it hard. So our first show was in uh, that I was on was in St. Petersburg, and it was with Toto. So it was a really cool thing. Greg Fillingangs was uh, second keyboard, I think, on that. No, actually, he was primary keyboard. So I had met him years ago when he was doing Stevie and all of that. So that was kind of a familiar thing. So we went in there and... Um, They fired it up through me on on the deep end of the pool, and it's been like that ever since.
0: And how long have you been with the band?
1: It's going on 13 years now. Yeah.
0: 13 years. Out of the 13 years, what was the sweetest part of being a band member?
1: One of the sweetest parts was Cynthia Robinson and I became really good friends. I have it was a blessing being able to meet these guys, and I mean even the current band there's a lot of love between the band members, so that camaraderie was always there you know and um everybody was slaves to the funk, so we just we just immediately locked up and uh and they they welcomed me in and 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 made me feel comfortable and felt like a member you know so the sweetest part of it I mean there's so many. I mean, rehearsing the Sly was great. <laughs> I mean, you know, with the man himself, you know. So those there, there are so many moments. I, I mean, we would really have, a, you'd have to have several hours for me to break all that down.
0: <laughs> now, Cynthia Robinson, tell us who she is and how long is she. I think she, I know she's one of the original band members and she's the horn player. But t- tell us about who she is and how do you, if you know the history, how she got, to be part of the original band?
1: Well, first of all, Cynthia Robinson is a legend in so many areas. During the time when Sly and Family Stone was formed, that band was, first of all, uh, the, one of the first bands to really integrate a band and was one of the first bands to have a multi-gendered band. And at the same time, it was one of the first bands that did not have the female in the background. As a matter of fact, when you listen to dance to the music, the first voice you hear is Cynthia Robinson's. Just get up and dance to the music, you know. And uh, so the thing about her was that, and I used to tell her all the time, do you really know what your contribution was? Because women became empowered through Cynthia. Uh, I remember doing a show uh, for Scripts in New York and a young... Female trumpeter came up and said to her, You think know, she was in college, and she said, You know, what you did for me made me feel that I can go out there and really compete and play with the boys and and not be considered the female trumpet player. You know, she was one of the cats, you know what I mean? And that's what Cynthia was. Cynthia was like one of the cats. Sly saw her as an equal. Uh, if you all remember in the music, he he calls her out and says, Cynthia on the throne, you know, and dancing to the music. So she was a powerhouse under her own right. And uh, she is sorely missed. Her presence is still felt on stage. I and mean, we, you know, and Swang always gives her so much, you know, love and attention and, and tributes to her every time we perform, you know, and we feel it every time that he makes that statement.
0: Well, you know, and this would be a good segue over to Swang. Um, same question: How did you get connected with the family Stone? And um, and the conversation audience. This is Russell Swang Stewart, by the way.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for having me. First of all, um, yeah, uh, you mentioned your brother Sing. Uh, we have a collective of musicians in uh, downtown New York City, known as the Days of Wild, and um, the. I guess, for lack of a better term, the face of Days of Wild is a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Papagayo, who was a drummer, and uh, he's had been going for many, many years down the Greenwich Village music scene, and uh, I found my way into the fold, far too long a story, and about 20 or so years ago, and uh, was, was embraced by that community. Turns out Papagayo did play with Sly and the Family Stone in a later lineup. Uh, right around 83, 84, somewhere around there. And uh, so we instantly connected, you know, through our mutual love of Sly and the Family Stone music. So he was an instant sort of um, brotherly figure in that way. Uh, Fast forward to just about two years ago, we were having a celebration for Sly's birthday, or in honor honor of Sly's birthday uh, at B.B. King's. And um, Jerry Martini came through. Um, I guess he had been invited for the last few years that we've been doing that birthday celebration, but he decided to make the trip this time. Uh, we reconnected after having met a few times over the years, but uh, he took my card and said, stay in touch. And we did that, talked off and on for a few months. And then uh, at one point he said, yeah, we're, we're gonna reconfigure the band and wanna put you out front. Uh, would you wanna do it? And uh, I don't think I let him finish the question (laughs) before (laughs) accepting his offer right away. I said, yeah, I feel like I've been rehearsing for this gig all my life without knowing, you know, that it it would eventually, you know, land on my desk. So, and I've been there ever since. My first gig was Asheville, North Carolina, August of 2017 in front of the most welcoming crowd I could have possibly imagined of. You know, 12-year-olds through, I guess, 70s, and uh, it was, uh, and it, I've been here ever since. And this is my family now. You know, I was immediately welcomed and embraced by Nate and the rest of the band. Who is Jerry Martini? Jerry Martini is the original founding member of Sly and the Family Stone, saxophonist, uh, band leader, and the guy. Who, just to cut to the chase. Who convinced a very young Sly, hey, this this radio disc jockey job that you've got is a great one, but you need to come in front this band, <laughs> <laughs> so we we can thank Jerry Martini for in, inspiring Sly to uh, say, okay, you know, I'll we'll give it a try and see how we can.
0: And he's playing with you guys tonight.
2: Yes, he is, and he'll he'll be our leader forever. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Jerry is. Um, uh, uh, I guess like a father, you know, a second dad to me. I'm very close with my parents, and he's now very close with them because, you know, through his love of me, he connected with my family and has just been such a nurturer, you know, for all of us, really. But... We call him Papa Jay. Yeah. We call
1: Jerry Papa Jay. And, uh, you know, the thing about Jerry was, is, as Swang was saying, was that um, he recognized a long time ago that, that Sly had this special gift Not only as a musician, but a composer and a leader. Um, Tulai also had this chemistry that you can't buy, you know. And uh, Jerry went to him, and even Sly says that in a video, that Jerry's Martini was the one that basically inspired and started the group. You know? Um, So it's it's kind of a full circle for me because, I mean, you know... Coming up, when I, when I came up in Philly and I, I had the good fortune of playing with a lot of the, some of the Philly artists that were happening at the time, and and uh, one day heard Slide to Family Stone and it just blew me away. I mean, it just, it was a game changer. And uh, so I chuckle every now and then to realize I've been playing with them and then have become friends, close friends with them, you know, at this stage, so it's, it's a full circle moment.
0: Now for those of the listeners who are not familiar with the Sly and Family Stone music catalog, believe it or not, because mm. <laughs> I, I had asked some of my millennial members in my family, and I guess shame on us for not exposing them, to 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 that wonderful music, uh, groundbreaking music and, and lyrical content, but Explain the music, uh, the, the, how it was saw, I guess it was like um, youth rebellion at that time, in, in, the, in the late 60s.
1: Yeah, I think all of those ingredients came together at that particular time. Since it was uh, such a tumultuous time and so much energy was flowing in so many directions, uh, what I loved about that period was the musicians of that time were making statements It wasn't just about, you know, where they were going to chart on the record or how much fun they could provoke, you know, how much of a party groove. And and you got all of that. But they had things to say. And so when Sly came along, I I mean, we we sometimes talk about this in the show. Um, There were two cats that were really responsible for what we call groove. This is all for you millennials out there that even think that y'all are funky. There are two cats that basically set it off for everybody to get their groove on. Number one was James Brown, the godfather of soul. Undoubtedly, he kicked that whole thing off of him. And then what Sly did is that Sly had a broad view of the world and he realized that through music I can bridge a gap with everybody, and so then when he formed this band, and it was a, a conscious uh, formation of black and white, male and female, and to find this common thread between them in terms of how they felt about music and how they wanted to express it, his genius was being able to take all of these people and blend this this soup. And there's the energy that came out that then made it the funk elevate to another level. And Sly's music was was hard. It was loud. It was melodic. It was even soft in areas like everybody is a star. But he spoke to you directly at the time of where you were living at that time. So that's why he became so important. You know. Um, And I think that's what's lacking so much in music now because, you know, the industry has gotten to a point where, you know, you have to chart and better hold that chart for three weeks and after three weeks, you're done. In those days, and this was true with your dad, I mean, in those days, an artist could get in the room and it really was their lab and express whatever they were feeling and dump that out without being concerned about well, how's this going to go over for the suits the suits had to kind of you know go along with it you know what I mean and those and those artists were brave enough to really put that out you know I mean that's why I, I think a lot of the millennials that um, might be feeling that they're being progressive and taking music to the next level they need to go back and listen to Sly and Hendrix and you know Miles and your dad you mm-hmm. know Bird was very progressive you know so i mean those kind of things are uh are vital and and what is important for us in this band because we are so we're students of that era we try to project that we try to pass that message on you know uh in many respects swang as the lead vocalist on this is carrying that torch that slide ignited you know he's He's trying to bridge everybody together and even refers to taking you back to 69 when, when they changed the game, you know, at Woodstock, you know. So, I mean, um, it's very important for, uh, for, for young people to really go back and look at the heroes that have made it all, all possible for us to really come forward. I mean, and go back even beyond the 60s, you know. Go back into the jazz era. Go by, all the way back to Louis Armstrong study our history. I mean, this is our culture, you know. We gave the world this culture, you know, so um, if there's any way that we can sort of project that, which is really cool on this gig because our audiences are anywhere from, like you said, from 12 to 80, (laughs) you know. We played, like we just did a, a thing in San Diego, and it's a whole gamut, and everybody's dancing and grooving and everything out there, so... Oh hail brother Sly,
0: you know. Oh <laughs> hell, brother Sly. Now, swaying. Yes. Nate talked about this torch that you you have to carry for for the band as the the lead vocalist. Is that torch heavy? Is it light? How how do you even condition yourself to carry that torch?
2: Um, honestly, by not thinking about it too much. Um, I I no, no matter. The fact of the matter is, the slide to get into this, the particulars of it. Sly and the Family Stone was innovative in many different ways, and one of the ways that they were was the collective of everyone participating. Every instrumentalist sang, every musician sang, and every um, um, singer played an instrument. So that was it. Was about everybody sort of having. Being on an equal playing field that way, level playing field, and I sort of, if I'm carrying a torch, it is sure front person, yes, but a member of a collective in which everybody contributes. That's really my primary focus. I, if if I, if I have my information correct, Sly got his start in the gospel church, so being a part of that sort of inspirational, even though Sly was doing secular music. It was still that inspirational gospel foundation that probably informed him to say, okay, everyone's invited. Jerry talks all the time about Sly and the Family Stone not being a political band, which is interesting to look back on it because, in the context of the times, Vietnam was happening, the youth culture was sort of asserting themselves in a way in which they hadn't, you know, they, they, their voices had been silent prior to that generation and now here we are and we're saying we're not really okay with our parents and the previous generation's plans for us we're you know, sort of looking at the civil rights movement, the women's liberation movement, the uh, protest of a, of a war that we feel is unjust and it's not our parents' war it's ours because our schoolmates are being sent over there and we don't know why and we don't understand why and we don't agree with it On the other hand, those who sort of looked to maintain that, for lack of a better term, status quo, Sly invited them too. If you didn't vote the way I voted, that's okay. It's sort of the difference between now and then. You know, uh, there was no social media sort of um, poison in the stream, if you will. So that probably helped. But it sort of set the stage for a post-civil rights, black and white, male and female, and everyone's invited. If you watch them on The Ed Sullivan Show, the audience, when Sly goes out in the audience with Rose, it's full of, and forgive me for you saying it in this way, but for lack of a better term, the words aren't coming to me, it's full of squares and turkeys in, in, in suits and not one of them under the age of 45. And Sly slapping five with them and, you know, tickling everybody and hand boning out there and just having a ball. And it was contagious and I've, If we need anything else, if I'm carrying a torch, I think that's sort of really desperately needed now by the audience, by our contemporaries, and by the youth because um, the the times are tumultuous once again. And I'm not really sure that we're... I mean, we're we're doing the best we can, but I'm not really sure we're doing it 100% in that tradition where unity is being called for rather than, you know, you're on that side, I'm on this side, and so on and so forth. And um, so does Papa J,
0: Jerry Martini still think that it's not a political band because the, the lyrics, the music is classic and it, it's, it's very fitting for today. Mm. And it seems like it, it is a political movement when you say we all are one, male, female, gender, sexuality, mm. race, ethnicity. And and I understand, you know, when we think political, we're thinking Democrat, Republican, so we're thinking divisively, but when you think about everything as a whole, the way a government really should run, right?
2: The 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 ideal, I suppose. If I mean, I'm not. I I wouldn't want to speak for Papa Jay, but it, I think what he means when when he says that is Sly and the Family Stone never endorsed one candidate over another. They never said, "Well, you're invited if you're a Democrat. You're not invited if you're." There was never, you know, that kind of line drawn. Any, having said that, any political, sociopolitical... political. Um, leanings or points of view there may have been were all implicit. They were not explicit. It wasn't, this is us, this is who we are, and to hell with you if you don't like it. It was you're invited too. You don't have to come if this ain't your thing, but it's your thing anyway. You know, and the door is left open for you to to, to come through after you've mellowed and taken it all in. Because it was, I'm sure, very jarring for those who weren't really prepared for the the downward slope of the the, the or, or being on the, the the north side of the civil rights movement, for example, um, and '68 when Dance to the Music comes out is the same year Dr. King is assassinated, and you know so here's this guy. It was so so slide was a representative of a lot of different things, the coalescing of certain uh, attitudes, you know. Yes black and white, male and female, but this black man was in charge of everything. He was writing the songs. He was writing the parts. That was very radical. But it was never, hey, I'm this black dude and I'm in charge kind of thing. It was let's just go take it to the stage. The world stage was what it ended up being.
1: The group itself,
2: when the
1: public first laid eyes on them was a statement. Because it hadn't really been done before. And it hadn't been done before that big. You know, Sly and the Family Stone within itself was a statement. You know, like you same people, they was talking about the squares and turkeys. I mean, they had to kind of uh, essentially bend over and and, and and ride to that occasion. I mean, it's like, you know, they were sitting in their seats all tight, but Sly was not going to have it any other way. I'm going to come down and I'm going to get you. You know what I mean, <laughs> and you're gonna look at all of these. You know, look at them back in the day, which was radical. I mean, Sly was the big afros and and knickerbockers and choker chains, and you know the sisters with big fros and stuff. In, and and the white boys with long hair and everything. So it was like you know for the for the square movement. It's like, what what is this? But it was in your face, and then. His music was so introspective, if, if you look at the lyrics, it's, it's always about you looking at yourself, you know? It's like that line in a stand, you've been sitting much too long, there's a permanent crease in your right and wrong. Everybody has to take a, take a look at that, you know what I mean? I don't care what persuasion you're in, you have to go, well, wow, maybe he's singing about me. Everybody's a star, you know, everyday people. And even talks about how people, uh, you know, the green one doesn't like the blue one, and so forth and so on. And, you know, Scooby-Dooby-Dooby. You know, it's like, hey, you know, different strokes for different folks. So you, when you listen to the music, you had to kind of reflect back on yourself, you know, as opposed to him carrying this banner and saying, you know, if you don't see it this way, Sly was like, take a look at yourself. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and it was evident when you went to his shows because then you saw everybody there.
2: It's still everybody e- was represented. It's, it's still evident as far, yeah. as, far as I'm because one of the first shows I ever did with the band after being brought in was in Syracuse. I'll never forget it. And we always get to the point in the show where we do the song "Stand," and Papa Jay reminds everybody on mic that you know when this song was written, you know Sly never said "Stand," if you're you know black, white black or white, straight, straight or gay, conservative or non-conservative. And that was eye-opening for me, so because when we got to that song in the set, I looked out and without prompting, everyone rose to their feet when we started singing Stand. And mixed into the crowd are, you know, folks who were obvious who were part of the LGBTQ community, wearing their pride colors very strongly. And on just The aisle behind them, there was three guys in Make America Great Again hats on. And they stood. So this is what I'm talking about. I'm getting choked up now thinking about it. I'm like, here they are right next to each other. And now through this music, there's this window of empathy that has the potential to be open. It's like, okay, my God, we can see each other now. And it was through the music that that sort of enabled it. We're not going to walk away from this and go back to our lives on separate sides of the aisle, so to speak. But here we are right now. Standing up through what for what we believe in individually, and no one's telling you to leave as they as they watch you rise. You know you're, you know we're we're going to dance for now with you.
0: Right. So stand, evoking the power of unity. Indeed. Right. I'm your host, Angela Birdsong, and you are listening to Conversation Peace. We'll hear more from the Family Stone with Rus- Russell Swang, Stewart, and Nate. Wingville. We'll be right back. Stand in the end will still be you one that's done all the things you set out to do Stand there's a cross for you Welcome back to Conversation Piece. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, and you have been listening to The Family Stone with the lead vocalist, Russell Swang Stewart, and lead guitarist, Nate Wingfield. You guys just gave us a lot of history <laughs> about, the, about Sly and The Family Stone, the music, the time period that this music was entering. Um, and how the audience still appeals to the lyrics, the look of the band, the sound of the band. Now, your God-given talents that have led you to be a member of this band, what's the, what's the cha- most challenging part of your, of your talent that you have? And then what's
2: the easy
0: part of your talent?
2: In the context of the band or just generally speaking?
0: Just generally speaking, but, you know, let's let's do both. For for you personally and then in the context of the the band.
2: Well, I guess they sort of go hand in hand. I could probably answer them both together, and that is just wanting to be better than I was yesterday. You know, as long as I've been playing music, that's always been my goal. I've never really sat down and said it or thought it, but that's just, you know, being 100% committed to the music and as time has gone on and the industry has changed that's become even more of a challenge Um, but on the other hand we have some things that are uh, helpful you know it's helpful to be in a community like New York City in which there are sort of a lot of different types of artists all converging and we have a collective goal as, as well as we have an individual one and that is to elevate the entire community and inspire each other to get better and learn things help each other in areas in which we are weak and uh, by using our strengths as individuals, so that you know that the community is all the better for the sum of its parts, or greater than the sum of its parts rather. That's always, that's at foremost in my mind at this point in time. Is just the same thing it's always been: be better, you know, do better, be stronger. If I didn't nail a part, practice it. If I didn't, um, if, if 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 I if I'm weak in certain for lack of a better term, genres of music, study those, you know. Um, They're looking to cut out arts in schools and things like that, so I sort of have an obligation to young artists to at least... I'm better at showing than I am telling, so if I can get up there and just be better, and um, particularly in front of an audience that appreciates and understands that what I'm doing is actually kind of difficult, that's my mission. That's my mission statement, really, is do better be better you know put the music first get your ego out the way and um, yeah that's where I am now that's most challenging always will be probably Nate
1: yeah I mean my journey with music is ongoing I you know when somebody calls somebody a it's it's that's not real you 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 are always chasing your instrument. It's always a step ahead of you. You know, it, you're always trying to find a better way to express yourself on it. You're always looking for that perfect tone that you'll never find. <laughs> you know, it's 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 what makes musicians, and I think creative people in general, whether it's painting, dance, or whatever, books or. Get down and, and just reach, you know. Um, it's Swang made a statement about you know the arts being taken out of school. Art is the only thing that determines civilization for an empire. Empires fell when the arts were gone. It's what is what civilizes us, you know. So um and even i 'd like to even go back to, to the young folks today They're they 're seeking they want they want to express themselves too, and they they have a technology is at a point now where there 's nothing holding you back from being able to make a statement or a tone. but the thing that I think we need to get back to is there 's a part of you that has to really get into the room. And be really honest with yourself enough to say, I'm going to have to sweat through this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to really have to woodshed to be able to, to command this thing to a certain point where somebody else can look at it and go, wow, I'd like to do that. You know what I mean? So as musicians, we will never find nirvana. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, we're We are always going to chase it. And I'm, I'm good with that. So when people say to me, oh man, you've been playing so many years, you must be, I'm like, dude, I'm still a student. Another thing is uh, my, my tastes musically are very eclectic. I mean, from one extreme to the other, you know. Um, I love all kinds of stuff. Uh, I remember at one point I was, I was uh, you know, the usual stuff, all of the rock and roll and the R&B and all that stuff. And my older sister brought home an album, a Newport jazz album with a great Brazilian guitarist black Brazilian guitarist named Bola I heard this album and of course he's playing nylon strings, you know. And he was playing uh, the entire uh, soundtrack of the movie Black Orpheus. And I'm I'm like either 10 or 12 and I heard this thing and it just changed the game for me. So while I was, you know, playing with all of the bands in Philly and all that, I had to go to Brazil. You know, I would... Emotionally went to Brazil and I had to learn how to play that kind of music. Because when I heard him, I thought it was four guys playing. It was just only one guy. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta know how to do that, you know? And uh, I, I'm still working on it, you know? So music is the one thing that I always go to, and I'm sure all musicians, I know Swang, Swang can speak for this, it's where we go to when we really wanna get in touch with ourselves. It's like, where am I at today, we grab whatever it is that makes tone and it's, it's the best therapy in the world for me, anyway. So, that's pretty much where I, I, I've grown. You
0: know. and then, And Speaking of um, musical influences, besides the Brazilian guitarist, who still influences you and who influenced you before you got with The Family oh, Stone? Goodness gracious. And Swang, you have time to think about That's that because I'm going to come a, to you a, with that, wow. that question too. <laughs> Woo.
1: I mean, I mean, you can start from from guitarist points of view, but there's so many. But I mean, in terms of music, I, I as a kid, I used to love Burt Backrack, Al David. I used to love their music when Dionne Warwick was singing. They it, it were was, it was so musical and it was so they were so well constructed, you know. Then, of course, even as a kid, when I was listening to my folk stuff, I was into Ellington and Basie and Johnny Hodges and all of the, all of the great players of that time. You know, who to me, th- these guys are gods of music. I mean, because they, they, they spoke language, the music was so much a part of their language that they could write pieces without even putting anything down. They could just speak apart to each other and go and do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's no, I don't. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, you have to explain that. <laughs> I've heard stories where, when uh, Strayhorn and, and, and Duke and Emma, how the A train, for example, came up, and they literally because they were sitting on an A train, and when they got to a, the, the destination to rehearse, he didn't have time to jot, jot it all down. They just sat around it and they spoke it to where it would be, and then Through they, their instruments. And they, then, no, they literally spoke. Oh. They didn't play yet. Okay. So I mean, these guys were so in tune that he could they could just say, "Look, here you do this, you would do that, this and that, and the other," and then they would sit down and play it on the spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was stories of uh, Louis Armstrong listening to other guys solo, and he could sit there, and, and his sense of modes was so great that he could then just pick up his horn. Now, this is total improvisation. That means no one knows what he's going to play, but he could hear where he was going, and he could pick his horn up and play along with him a third above. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the Truly that gifted. Makes, that's the thing that makes me, you know, my hair stand out. That's how committed to the genius of what, and particularly what our folks did. I'm talking about black musicians. You know, what black American musicians gave the world is, that's a debt that can't be repaid. It really is. What what came out of Africa, whether they landed in Brazil, they came up with the batucada and the samba. <laughs> they ended up in Cuba with salsa. With salsa right? they ended up in New Orleans, it was New Orleans jazz. If they were in the islands, it was reggae. But it's black music. It's a powerful force, you know, and uh, I I, I feel so strongly about that, and and, and I I think that we need to let the world know, no, we're we're not going to be humble about it. This is our culture. You can join in. (laughs) This is what we brought the world, you know what I mean? So... Again, I can go on and on, so...
0: <laughs> right, no, I, I feel like I'm getting a music history lesson here, and, I, and I'm loving it, loving it. Mm-hmm. Swaying. who are your musical influences? Boy,
2: all right, you'll have to stop me as well. I, I it, everything I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, my parents played music for me. There's a photograph they have of me, you know, at four months with headphones my mom holding them on or my dad holding them on for me. And uh, it's just wide-eyed look, you know, on my face. So it goes back that far. And they, these were the, 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 the days when you put the radio on at eight in the morning on Saturday, and it stayed on all day. And, uh, and the songs weren't repeated. So I was hearing things like, uh, just to sort of bring this full circle, I was hearing, I mean, Prince became my guy, you know, right around the time that I guess my own musical personality started to form. He was a guy that I looked at and said, okay, yeah, wow, well, he's, he's really great. I'll, I'll probably never be that good, but I can try. So that, he put me on that path. And then Prince was really great about sort of directing me to other people, music of the past, because he looked up to James Brown. He looked up to Sly Stone. He looked up to Little Richard. He looked up to Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. So I sort of found a lot of those things, not necessarily through him. He did a concert one time, and I watched, and he he played a tune. His band did a tune by Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker, I've heard that name before, but I don't know who this is. So I need to investigate that, because Prince thinks it's cool. He plays these songs by this guy, Ray Charles, and I know that name. I should listen to Ray Charles. So I ended up getting into, you know, making my way through the wilderness of music, through the artists of my generation. And I'll never forget my mother being such a huge Earth, Wind, and Fire fan, and playing Earth, Wind, and Fire every day. And because it was my mother, I was a fan of the music too. Um, And uh, and so, and she would also she was a big Al Jarreau fan. And Al Jarreau had this thing that he would do at the end of his concerts, his improv, where he would just start saying, "I want to thank you for letting me be myself again." And I'm like, "That's an interesting choice of words. I don't really understand what he means by that." But through my interest in Earth, Wind and & Fire and Al Jarreau and my mother's music, my father just one day being sort of the champion of the old school that he continues to be, said, you know, you really need to hear where Earth, Wind & Fire come, came from. And I guess he, played, he pulled the stand record out and he played Sing a Simple Song. And I instantly recognized that, okay, this was what they were listening to when they did Shining Star. There's no question about that. And even though as you know, as relatively uneducated as, as I was in music at the time, I was able to recognize that because it was that apparent in a good way. So all of that influenced me. And then, you know, I got into jazz. I got into the Beatles. I got into, you know, um, like the, mu- the, the music of the British Invasion. I got into, like, Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, oddly enough. Bacharach David. Um, you know, and then got heavy into like Curtis Mayfield big time and then that reignited my interest in Stevie Wonder who I'd always been interested in and found Edwin Birdsong <laughs> 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 by way of that association as well so yeah, I could go on all day about this stuff we, we don't we don't this is a topic for many, many shows, yeah. ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> at the time, I mean,
2: you know, I'm from Philadelphia.
1: I grew up in Philadelphia and I, and I had a good fortune of playing with a lot of the Philly groups, you know, at the time. And um, So, I mean, Norman Connors, I was playing with Norman Connors and Phyllis Hyman and Gene Carn. you know, and then, then on the R&B and funky side, was Evelyn Champagne King, and then I was a member of the Jimmy Casta bunch, you know, Birth of a Boogie, and all of that, you know. So I was, I was, I was in in, in that, and in in hip hop, I did some things for African bambata you know, in the studio, and so I mean, when you when you mix all that up, you know, it's really hard to sort of say, you know. What was a particular influence? All of it was, you know. And, and uh, to get back to your dad, that's one of the things I loved about him, man. I mean, his, he was so eclectic, you know. I mean, Bird was a true space cadet, <laughs> you know. I loved the way he thought. I mean, he was just, he was always trying to take the music as far out as he could get it with the technology that was happening at the time. And even with the stuff that was happening at the time, he was, he was stretching it, man. I mean, he was, he was pushing it to the limits, you know. And one of the greatest things I just want to say to you is that we all knew that Bird was bad. But when I saw him conduct Stevie Wonder's horn section at Studio 54, Stevie was in, another st- in the studio, like next door downstairs. They had a remote feed and Bird was conducting the horn section. Then you're at the point of really realizing how theoretically bad he was. You know, there's a lot of time, a lot of cats that have a, a good sense of me, but technically, you know, theory-wise, he knew what he was doing because it was all charted out, and he was conducting. He wasn't just he was conducting it, mm-hmm. and uh, and for Stevie to trust him uh, to to give him that. Position to do that on on a track that became immortal. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a testament. So I've been blessed to be around musicians and artists. You know, it's like you mentioned Ronnie Drayton. Uh, I mean, I love that guy. I mean, and 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 I could easily see why Ronnie would be playing with Bird because you know they they had that 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 point of how far can we take it out? You know. So when I heard those uh, r- records before I came in with Bird I was just I was blown away so when I finally met Bird and hung out with him it's like oh no this, this is another journey here you know I think, I think this brother was one of the few that the world really missed this giant in terms of what his talent was you know and, and I think a lot of young people should uh, should, should try to go out and, 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 and listen to his stuff you know investigate him you
0: know okay well let's let's take another break here and when we come back I'm going to ask you guys about tonight's set list (laughs) and and What's your favorite Sly song that you like playing? I know that's going to be hard because that's like asking me which which one is my favorite I like dancing to, you know, or playing in, in my car. But when we come back, we'll we'll find out those answers. I'm your host Angela Birdsong, and you're listening to Conversation Piece on RadioJustice.org. We will hear more from the family Stone. Welcome back to Conversation Piece, and yes, I'm your host, Angela Birdsong, and we have Russell Swang Stewart and Nate Wingfield of the Family Stone, and they are pre- performing tonight at the 41st Playboy Jazz Festival at the Hollywood Bowl, and they are the closing act. <laughs> All right, now, what is your favorite song of from the catalog that you enjoy performing the most? And then I want to ask... Which one is the one that you like as a consumer just
2: listening to the most? Swang. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, as far as performing goes, uh, it's so hard to pick a favorite, as you know. But I, I really have to be... I, I have... I know I'm kind of... You know, the the, the, the folks who are aware of Swang probably know me as kind of a funk guy. But I really am... I'm a softie. So uh, uh, hot fun in the summertime gets me choked up every time. Um... You can't really, I, or at least I can't really think of that song without thinking of, well, first of all, it's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous melody. It's an inspiring song. It captures a particular mood so well and so descriptively. Um, the context of the times it was released, because you have to think about it was released in the summer of 69 um, and at the height of the Vietnam era. And to this day, I don't think we've done a show yet in which somebody hasn't come up to me and said, that got me through Nam, that song, because you know the lyrics talk about you know county fair and the country sun and you know we're out of school and there's that you know sort of small town community vibe, and uh, I one of the shows we did was in Cleveland for the Rock Hall, right after I joined, and the guy said to me, he came up to me after the show, said you know that my I had my transistor, that was all I had back then, that. You know, my friends are getting shot to death on either side of me. I was 19, he told me, and he said he worked the county fair back home. And the the summer of 69, he was not able to work because he was in the jungles of Nam. And he said, the only thing that got me through it, man, was that transistor. Because when I heard that song, it took me back to the county fair and the country sun, out of school, and, you know, so I, I, you know, that... When I think about the the job that I have, it becomes less of a job and more of um, a, a service to an individual like that, because, you know, that's pretty unimaginable to somebody like me who didn't, you know, didn't grow up with the draft and, you know, in, in fear of, you know, being, you know, shot down in my youth. So that's a pretty important one to me. In terms of listening, oh, God, that's hard. I'll let Nate take it from here. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a question. That really is a question. Um, I think if I had to pick one, I would say thank you for letting me be myself again. Uh, and the reason being is I remember Herbie Hancock had a thing on PBS a while back, years ago. It was a rock school. And he made a statement, he said, if you ever want to learn anything about funk, listen to Thank You for Letting Me Be Yourself. It is funk 101. It is the syncopation lesson of all time. Um, but th- that being said, I'm such a true fan of Sly and the Family Stone, and particularly Sly Stone's Genius, as a musician, I hear certain things, every time I play those records, I hear something new every time. After all these years, I hear elements, and I go, oh, I need to, I need to hone in on that a little bit more. I need to. So their musicianship, and particularly Freddie Stone, who, uh, Sly's brother, Freddie Stone, gu- the guitar player, who, which, which Swang brought up something earlier, which, which is correct to be said, Although Swang is the designated singing Sly's parts, Sly really didn't have one particular leader in vocals. His brother Freddie led a lot of the stuff, you know. His sister Rose, you know. Sly was he, he was inclusive, you know, and and um, so I listen to their vocals and things, and I and I have to go back again and. Re-listen, and uh, so I'm hearing it in so many aspects—from the music, from the vocals to the melodies, you know—and and what they did as a, a ensemble, in terms of their playing, is really monumental. I mean, from one song comes in "In Time." Anybody that's never heard "In Time" need to pick it up and listen to it. That's another uh, track that the syncopation in that is just. Those songs influenced people like Miles Davis. For Miles to say that Sly was his only peer. (laughs) As only Miles can say it. I mean, Sly blew Miles' mind. (laughs) You know? Um, That says a lot. (laughs) That's saying a lot. That's saying a heck of a lot. Right. You know, and when Jimi Hendrix was literally dying, Sly was landing in, in, in London to talk to him about this project that they were gonna do, they were gonna do. A, they were looking at doing an album together, Sly oh, and Hendrix. Goodness. And then Miles heard about it and goes, "You're not doing it unless I'm doing it." <laughs> so can you imagine a Sly Miles and Jimmy album? <laughs>
0: The world would explode the world, the right world
1: would blow up. we will still be grooving to that
0: right now all right what are you guys playing tonight huh? what what what's what's on the set list please
2: well what is on the set list for Playboy? uh i haven't seen all of it yet um, they're still working it out but uh, i know that uh expected. The hits, yeah, the the, the, the,
1: the all of them to are hits. Right. <laughs> We've got a limited amount of time now. I mean, we, we could, could play hits for three hours. Through,
2: right? Can you? <laughs> hot, hot, hot fun in summertime will definitely happen tonight. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, okay. Uh, we, might, I, we
1: might get some people to,
2: to dance to the music. Yeah,
1: probably. Okay. You can make
2: it if you try. I think is in the set, as well. So.
1: I, I think we might wanna. Thank them for letting us be ourselves. <laughs> you know? Say that again. <laughs> I think we might <laughs> thank them for letting us be ourselves. Maybe.
0: What about if, if you want me to stay? Maybe, maybe, maybe.
2: maybe. <laughs>
0: okay. Now, any surprises <laughs> for us tonight at well, the forty-first Playboy Jazz Festival?
2: Yeah, well, well, oh boy. Uh, well, we are in LA. Okay. And I, I was uh, with our road manager earlier, and there were, well, let's some, put it that way. there were some. We're in L.A. Yeah, yeah. that's all we need LA. to do no. Okay, okay. There's some funny names on the guest list.
0: Okay. Some odd names. Uh, some odd names on the guest list, you guys. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Now, can you guys sing a little something for us right now? Oh, you had to go and do that. <laughs> can we get some water over can here, can, please? <laughs> can, can, can we at least save it for the... Oh, no, you guys want to... Okay, right, because you guys are performing tonight. But I, I know you guys just a what a little something coming close to the mic.
2: Everybody is a star. Through the rain, chase the dust away. Everybody wants to shine. I took Nate's line. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Who will come out on a a cloudy day? (laughs) Thank you, guys. A little something.
0: (laughs) A little something. Oh, my goodness. You can clap loud. (laughs) Okay. Now, any new music coming out, and what's up with the summer tour?
2: We can't talk about the new music just yet, but yes, yes, we can say that much. Yes, there's new music coming from the Family Stone.
0: Okay. And Probably
2: s- 2020.
0: 2020. Okay, so 2020, that's a good year. Now, this, uh, summer tour.
2: Okay, what's coming up? Uh, we'll be in Indiana, I guess, right around the time this airs. we for a festival there in Gas City, Indiana. We have a
1: couple of festivals that we're doing back in New York. state in uh, Middleton, New York,
2: coming up next month. Um, Minneapolis. Minneapolis, we're coming. Uh, on... June the twentieth, I believe, right. and uh, some What's Minneapolis All Stars on the bill with us there. Shout out to Paul Peterson, yeah, yeah. and uh, Sheila E., Josh Stone, and yeah, just check out check out thefamilystonemusic.com. More dates there.
0: Say the website one more time. the
2: thefamilystonemusic.com, and uh, you'll find all of our upcoming dates there as well for the remainder of 2019, and we will be adding more. We can't talk about those just yet. Either.
0: Okay, well thank you guys so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Angela. I have been so excited about this interview.
2: <laughs>
0: I I'm speechless Almost right now. Almost as excited as us. <laughs> <laughs> right. But mm-hmm. I really want to thank you guys for for giving me your time um to speak with me on my show Conversation Piece. I know that this is the the day of the performance and and luckily you guys are the closing act so we got a lot of time before your your call time you guys already did sound check i would love to ask some questions about sound check so early in the morning right early early Early, in the morning eight
2: o'clock in the morning
0: (laughs) eight o'clock in the morning so um we got to do this again when yes yes yes, when you guys are, are back in town let's let's continue the conversation piece Thank you to my Conversation piece Roadshow guests, the legendary musical group, The Family Stone, for sharing your time with me at the 41st Playboy Jazz Festival. Lead singer, Russell Swang Stewart, and lead guitarist, Nate Wingfield. I am forever grateful. Thank you to Leslie Rafford, CEO of RJLA, Adam Rice, Program Director, Joseph Tucker, Engineer and producer Michael Washington of M. Wash Soul for the opening and closing theme song. And always you, our RJLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on RadioJustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong once again thanking you for allowing me to share this very special experience of conversation peace on Radio Justice L.A. Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.